0: It's great to be back with you again this week and to announce the launch of our fall live webinars and a special first time in-person VIP event that we will have at two of them in Vancouver and Calgary for clients and new VIP clients are also welcome. VIP clients, that would be. In the news this week, we discussed new credit card surcharges you may be facing uh, of up to 2.4% that'll start this week. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, I answer a listener question on Parex Resources, Inc., symbol PXT on the TSX, a cash-rich Colombian light-sweet crude provider and producer that pays 4.7% dividend. Once again, this week, Brennan takes a look back at another speculative one-time market darling that has seen its share price crater. The company, Cielo or Cielo, whatever the hell it's called, Waste Solutions Corp., symbol CMC on the TSX Venture was a stock we recommended to listeners to stay far away from as it never passed our initial criteria for investment. Cielo is down 90 plus percent. Brennan will let you know why and why he said to stay clear of this and what we think about this spec operation at present. Aaron hits the mailbag to answer a listener question on how to treat goodwill when analyzing any stock. Finally, Brett also answers a listener question on Chorus Entertainment, symbol C-J-R-dot-B on the TSX, a Canadian broadcasting company. The company currently operates 33 specialty television channels, 15 conventional television stations, and 39 radio stations across the country. We'll let you know if it offers value right now. I'm going to welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and the Killer Bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing well. Great. Salutation. Great. I like to refer to them as B squared. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's better.
0: That's better. I
1: like it's that too. Uh,
0: I'd say square. Squared is the operative <laughs> word there for sure. So okay, we uh, let's get into it. We, have, so uh, Ryan got a surprise we do have on something credit different, card bill. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead. Do, what do we have different? Do you want here? to talk about my credit card bill or do you want Not to talk really. about... um? Our seminars, because you really yes. want to
1: talk about that. let's those, talk about that. We
0: just want to quickly say that we have uh, fall webinars coming up, our traditional series of three-hour webinars, which anyone can attend. But we're also offering special in-person five- to six-hour events, which offers lunch, which is good enough to come, in my opinion, and refreshments for VIP clients new and old in Vancouver and Calgary. We'll offer more details on that in a moment. Now, the traditional fall webinars now that we've been doing since the start of the pandemic. Uh, These ones are entitled for this fall, build a stock portfolio during a bear market, which we're in, but showing you how you can build it now and profit from the the boom. November 2nd, 7 p.m. Pacific, November 8th, 7 p.m. Eastern, Who should attend these? So individuals and families who want simple information on how to build a 15 to 25 stock portfolio, how to face a bear market, what types of stocks to buy, which to avoid, simple information on the pros and cons of GICs, bonds, and other fixed income versus dividend growth stocks in this environment of rising interest rates, how to build, or also giving you a simple starter portfolio around 7 stocks, including top dividend growth stocks, top recession-resistant stocks, bargains appearing in the U.S. technology market, top gold-related energy, and more, all in this seminar. Just how to position your portfolio for 2023. We've seen a historic drop in North American markets, the worst in 52 years in 2023. What we don't want you to do is stick your head in the sand, which many people do, this is a folly in, in current markets when you see a downturn. What you should be doing is paying more attention to your portfolio in this time because this is where you really make your money over the long term by positioning your portfolio in good companies that come on sale. And there are good businesses out there right now that are cheaper than they've been at any point in the last 20 years. And these are the type of businesses you should put in your portfolio. Buy when the markets come on sale. Do not stick your head in the sand, and uh, we're going to introduce some good companies in this seminar. So that's why we uh, let you know that you can come and attend these events. Aaron, are you excited? Are you guys excited, excited to be, excited. be I'm at always these
1: excited events? Because every time we do a, a new round of the of the DIYs, we put together new content. We always try and make it better. We always try and focus on what are the the basic principles that people need that they can take from that seminar that they can deploy right away.s um, To make the best investment decisions to build their portfolio, to repair their portfolio. Um, and then, of course, as you said, Ryan, there's going to be that seven stock starter portfolio, so these are real recommendations that people can mm-hmm. use to get their portfolio off, off to a good start. And, you know, we talked to a lot of people um, that might know Keystone from uh, watching us do a presentation um, at a conference or maybe from on the radio show or from watching the podcast. and. You know they're moving the direction of thinking that you know maybe Keystone can help me um, manage my own portfolio or construct and maintain my own portfolio, but they're just not quite ready to become a client yet. They want to get a little bit more information, and a great way to get that information is to attend our our DIY our DIY seminar because it's about as Ryan said, it's about three hours packed with some of the most important things that Keystone that Ryan and myself have learned over the past 20, 25 years of of researching and recommending companies in the stock market and helping people build portfolios. So we really try and condense it in there plus those individual stocks. So I I like to say it's the best investment you'll make with your time.
0: Yeah. And if, you know, if you've just come across Keystone, maybe over the course of this year, that's a great event to attend. (laughs) You can, you know, log on, online. It's an interactive Q&A session at the end. If you have any questions about North American stocks, we'll answer questions there. We'll have that simple starter portfolio, go over what's going on in the markets, how to address that in your portfolio, and how to build that fifteen simple 15 to 25 stock portfolio. So a great thing to attend. We'll provide more details uh, next week on the chat or on this uh, podcast as well. But if you've known us for years, or if you're a current client, and not a VIP client, don't have that VIP membership, um, we encourage you to, all existing VIP members, come to that, those there Saturday, Sunday, the 5th and 6th, the 5th and 6th of November, uh, starting 11 a.m. local time in those markets, five to six hours, we're going to have a lunch there, which again is good enough to attend just uh, in person. So if you're an existing client, you're going to get an email off sent to you, to be able to attend, if you're in the Vancouver or Calgary market or near those markets, uh, but if you want to become a client or want to upgrade, it's the complete VIP stock portfolio building package. You're going to get our full research for the full year. Um, you know, you get that five to six hour seminar. You get three analyst calls every year. You get a hundred plus individual weekly chat sessions. It's a great package if you're really serious about building that 15 to 25 stock portfolio. Plus, we're going to go over 15 stocks, at least 15 stocks that are in our high conviction area of the VIP portfolio that you know have come on sale during the uh, the current bear market and are great additions to your portfolio going forward over the next 12 to 24 months. So we'll go over all those things. We encourage you. Go on to keystocks.com, log on there, click on the Ugly, our ugly mugs up in the top corner are our pictures there. You'll go through to a page. You can select which uh, which event you want to attend. And there's a couple good options there. So let's and, get to this. And show. plus, what, if Brennan's I could add, something else. at
2: the VIP Brennan event, might be there. I will be there and I will be presenting in front of a crowd for my first time. I've done webinars, but uh, this will be the first time that I'm in front of you know an actual live crowd. So you guys can see Ryan. Uh, yell at me in the hallway when you know I mess up so you
1: know we're not gonna yell we're not gonna yell <laughs> at you when you make you can look mess forward up. To that. we're gonna yell at you during the presentation <laughs> yes. so that would that up, be funny right?
0: strangely this is live we're actually no I didn't know that this would be your in. first
1: time speaking in front of a live crowd Brandon. I did not know that. correct you're messing
0: up my yeah. joke we're actually live right now getting people send in please Get, give Please me my no. ticket. I need a refund. I didn't know Brennan was speaking. I'm sorry. I'm giving my tickets. The other thing is these events always sell out. Like they've sold out for the last five years. So if I know you hear this and it sounds cheesy, but get your get your tickets ahead of time, uh, especially the VIP event if you're looking to attend. We really have limited seating at those events. Uh, so yep. if you're looking to attend, get get them ahead of time. Sorry, and it, it is Brennan's first time in person. Yes. So you get to see the young chap in person. never
1: no, no nothing at school or
2: oh tons or? at school tons I mean
1: oh so you have presented in front of a live crowd before
2: b- but not with you guys so you know it will right. be a little you've bit done of our a webinars dynamic.
0: you've done our webinars virtually not in person yes
2: not in person right. yes. okay. yep okay fair um, enough but yeah and I was you know I I would like to think that I'm a good presenter um, but one time uh, <laughs> the teacher gave me back. Uh, <laughs> don't do that, Ryan uh, gave me back some feedback and said that I was yelling at the class. So uh, next time when I present, don't Ooh, yell,
1: try not to <laughs> yell at our attendees.
0: So, yeah. yeah that, I'll try to do that. Yelling at client. Oh, yeah. that's great. So let's, let's, let's get to a couple of items in the news. There is credit card surcharges uh, that could be in starting Thursday. Businesses in Canada will be able to pass credit card fees on to their customers. The change is the result of a multi-million dollar class action settlement involving Visa and MasterCard over what are known as interchange or swipe fees. The money credit card companies, banks, and processors collect from merchants with their every transaction. Those fees can range from around 1% to as much as 3% for cards with perks like cashback or loyalty points. Now, these significant fees uh, may see, and, and, you know, My question to, you know, just the guys here today and anybody out there is, will this alter your payments? Because I know we got our, you know, Keystone itself got a email sent off from TELUS saying that they will be charging, you know, an additional fee. It's two around that range, 2%, 1% to 2% that they'll be charging for the credit card that we pay for our mobility or internet services that we use in, in the office. And you know that al- we immediately altered our our behavior. We went and said, no, we're not going to pay that way. We'll just pay via direct debit or default pulling from the account. So, because why would we pay an additional two plus percent fee when we could just pay it that way? Honestly, the only reason we used it that way was to get to take advantage of the points. So I do wonder how many people are now going to alter their behavior and not use credit in these situations, if they see a 2% plus fee surcharge that's being passed along. I know if I see a merchant doing it, I'm not going to use my credit card. I'm going to use my debit card. I don't know about you guys.
2: For sure. Yeah. I mean, my big one would be Sobeys. So hopefully Sobeys doesn't, uh, you know, tap yeah. that on. Um, there's a,
1: there's a yep. list, actually. We should tweet it out because my wife found um, it's yeah. a list of companies. We should do uh, that. That, that gets updated companies yep. that are going to be charging the surcharge. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of people, it's, it's the same for, for my family. We try and use the credit card for everything, pay it off at the end of the month, but then get the points.
0: Mm-hmm. But then
1: that, if, if there's going to be a, a 2% surcharge and that the points
0: are meaningless,
1: at nullifies any, yeah, yeah any, any yeah. benefit from the points. Yeah. So certainly that, that's, that's going to change the way that we, that we operate. Um, just a matter of like, you know, how widespread is it going to be? I would imagine that, you know, at first you're going to have some early innovators, companies, mm-hmm. brave companies that are going to step up and be like, we're, I, I say brave, I'm speaking tongue in, <laughs> t- tongue in cheek, yeah. if people don't know. um, But they're going to step up and they're going to, they're going to charge these fees, others won't because, you know, they don't want to, um, they don't want to Dis, disincentivize their customers to, to yeah. spend money. But then as this becomes more normalized, more and more companies are just going to slowly, silently start adopting this. And I think that, you know, yeah, well, I, you I I think you to to can't years silently years up, it do it. You have name. to
0: give notification. You have to give notica- sure, notification. Sure. Yeah. But 90s, like how many people
1: read, like what kind of notification do they have to tell yeah. you every time you use a credit card at, I think it's just once they have to let you
0: know, and a sign right. up maybe that says it right. But, but still like, The more, like, if companies like large companies like Telus are doing it, the more and more are going to start to pass that on. Uh, It to me, it could alter behavior significantly. Some will need to use that credit card, but if you don't need to, um, it's going to alter behavior at least for me quite fast. And will it alter your banking services? Because sometimes you use credit card on larger purchases. You can't uh, do a direct a debit. Uh, of like, say, $5,000 or $4,000. Maybe we will now demand from our banks, no, I want to be able to do a $10,000 debit uh, Mm -hmm. payment through my debit card. I mean, if the money is there, there should be no reason you shouldn't be able to do that. And will that be a different uh, requirement for banks? Because, you know, it's access to a larger amount of your money very quickly like that. So,
3: you know, it's interesting
0: to see how that will... I think you made made their,
3: uh, their fraud departments just shiver. I,
0: I, five, I'm sure I you're sure. going to
3: terrify them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it would, which would mean that's what I'm you know, going through. I'm thinking that in my head that, that it can, you know, th- there's going to be different deba- demands on the debit system. Then uh, Visa kind of took those on. Uh, but, you know, if, yeah. if, if people are then having to pay a 2% fee, you know, if you're doing a $5,000 purchase and you have to pay 2% on top of that, you're just going to forget it. I'm not, you know, so if you can just do it, or you know, or people are going to start writing checks again. That's not going to happen, you would think. But like, if, if there's no fee on it, I mean, I, I'm going to do it and not. I'm going to try to get around that two percent fee at any point that I, I can. Sure. I All right. We also had uh, the reversal on the UK corporate tax. Brad, do you want to go through this uh, a little bit just uh, give us yeah, a lay of the land so on what happened there?
3: Initially, when uh, it was a party change, it wasn't an actual election in the UK. Uh, once uh, uh, UK leader uh, Truss is now in charge, initially they were planning to drop the corporate tax rate, which they had previously frozen to, I think it was 19%. I'm not sure I'll put the numbers up on screen. And now they have completely reversed from just freezing the tax rate, which was before the party switch to now raising the tax rate. So before when they were dropping the tax rate, they scared the markets. The uh, British pound plunged right after the announcement. I think it was a few few cents on the dollar. We did uh, this a few weeks ago. We talked it through. Yeah. I'll put yeah. a link to that as well. But yeah, no, it's complete reversal. So in other words... Ryan's going to move there because he loves high
1: taxes. Mm-hmm.
0: That's, I'm that's, I'm on yeah. my way back to the UK. Aaron's on his way back too as well, are you not? We were just there. Yeah, well, I mean, I the love summer.
1: the UK. No, we're it's, done. You know, it's, I love it,
0: but I wouldn't want a business there.
1: Listen, it's interesting because I remember when we had heard news about the the pound plunging, I, I made the statement on, on the podcast, you know, I wish I was there now spending money. But after the podcast, I took a look and compared the exchange rate at the time. So this was two weeks ago when the when the when the uh, tax bill was initially announced in the UK. The pound declined. Um, Tons of news stories about how, you know, it's 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 an all and an all time low. But then I compared the exchange rate to where it was relative to the Canadian dollar a month before when I was in the UK and it was pretty much unchanged. So if you look at how the pound has um, trended, you can see that uh, it's they they pretty much hit or come close to an all-time low um you know multiple times over the past say six months. Um, it's not been a good uh, it's not been a good ride for for the pound just generally since since brexit and then recently as well. but um it's not like that decline after the after the tax bill was decided was. As quite a substantial, I think personally, relative to where the pound had already been trending, um, it, it wasn't quite as substantial. I think as is, is what the what the media was trying to trying to um, trying to say.
0: Good, and finally, if we want to get into the last little news item, there's another uh, such an innovative uh, ETF and anti uh, ESG uh, ETF. So, you know, it just, I think they'll put anything in an ETF these days. I mean, we, we had the Nancy Pelosi ETF with what she's buy, buying and we had, uh, you know, just a number reverse of Kramer. Uh, what, the re- reverse Kramer, which <laughs> it's funny because uh, Aaron, if you remember there, were, his name shall re- remain unnamed, but there was a back in the days of uh, BNN way back, what was it called? Business television or way back? There used to be a guest on there all the time. And we used to have a running joke in the office. We'd have the reverse, whatever this gentleman's name (laughs) was. uh, Because every time he'd come on, it would literally, like the stocks would absolutely, a year later, we'd look back and like, if it was four companies he recommended, three out of four would be down 50%. Like, I have no idea how he was in the industry. He is no longer in the industry, but uh, it was the reverse and Aaron knows what I'm saying right now. Oh, I know Aaron. exactly
1: who you're talking yes. about. Yeah, exactly. So, news. and I don't think anybody th- I mean, would recognize the name anymore. No,
0: anyways. there could have been, there been an ETF done on him. certainly would have 12 years ago. Him. Yeah, it could have yeah. done an ETF on this uh, gentleman too. And, you know, it's the same type of thing here, the reverse Kramer. Well, not, this is the the anti-ESG, which... You know, like what I, is I said, all, though, with the reverse oil Kramer. Companies?
1: Yeah. Kramer talks about, I I don't watch Kramer's show, but I mean, I've, I've seen it a couple of times. I mean, he'll talk about hundreds of companies throughout the course of just, you know, a couple of months, yep. it seems. Right. So how do you determine which ones you're going to short or which but ones, the ones you're I guess
0: hold? he hits that buy, 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 buy on, I guess. Right? <laughs> but, I mean, but doesn't he do that? Like there? a couple, I, don't hun-
1: I, know. I, I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, a, at least yeah. a couple hundred companies in your portfolio. Companies that Kramer recommends seem to be companies that are more or less just going to, um, Move in lockstep with the U.S. economy, so I think that this reverse Cramer um, yeah, ETF yeah, could really just be a reverse S and P 500 ETF, yeah, and would probably.
0: Well, be about once the same you thing. get once you get a hundred plus stocks in there, you're basically it's just yeah, do yeah, I mean, what if, the market does anyways, and there's going to be a if fee. If you're recommending
1: a couple hundred of the biggest stocks in the U.S. Uh, over the course of a year, you may as well just recommend the S and P 500. That's essentially yeah. what you've just done.
0: So many of these funds just have too many stocks, so they just become the market. We've talked yeah. about that millions of times. But I mean, this is gimmicky.
1: These... these reverse, what what there is the reverse there is. Kathy Newman, there is reverse Kramer, there's reverse, you know. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of reverse you mean Kathy funds Woods? that are. Ex- Woods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was like, sorry. <laughs>
1: the reserve. I don't, I don't care to follow these people. I know. Very closely. I know. Most I know. I know. But no, that's, that, that, that's good. Yes, Kathy well,
0: we, we had Newman and Kramer on this episode. I thought we were going back to Seinfeld, right? So that's maybe it was in your head. Newman and Kramer. All right, we're done with this. Let's get on to a listener question. I can answer. I can hit the mailbag here. Your stock, our take uh, on listener question here. Perixx is an oil and gas company you have recommended in the past. What are your thoughts on it today, Sandy from Moncton? New Brunswick. Well, Perex symbol PXT on the TSX trades at around $21, $2.3 billion market cap, 4.76% dividend yield. They are a Canadian based oil weighted producer focused on conventional high productivity reservoirs in Colombia. Cash on the balance sheet and material free cash flow and an active normal course issuer of bread. Perex is a solid international exploration production company uh, that you could look at for a portfolio. So essentially, we'll look at it here. Near-term outlook, what did we see in terms of revenues in the last quarter? Q2 revenues were up 63% to $345 million. Income before income tax rose 112% to $269 million. Earnings per share were up to $1.24 from $0.72 cents in the same quarter last year. Uh, production, though, was basically flat. Uh, its production is combined crude and conventional natural gas weighted towards light sweet crude. It was basically flat at 51.14 million barrels of equivalent per day. Now, what added, what produced the huge financial growth then? Well, it's higher light sweet crude prices. That has driven the overall growth. But there is uh, potential growth coming in terms of production for this company, what makes makes it a little more interesting. They had production guidance in the last quarter. Production was expected to average between 53 and 55 million BOEs per day, uh, which is decent growth. Full year uh, 2022 production to be around 54 to 56 million BODs per day uh, with an exit rate of about 60 million BODs per day. Uh, there was a recent announcement, however, that um, essentially weather and blockades have brought down volumes for the upcoming quarter. They're now expected to average fifty-one point five m million BODs per day, below previous guidance of, like I said, fifty-three to fifty-five. Now these should be one-time events that should allow them to get ahead. Current volumes uh, after those delays have come in at fifty-five. Million BODs per day. So that's ahead of its product or forecasting the 60 uh, million exit rate. So it's ahead of that forecast. So while this quarter will be affected over the long run uh, and heading into this, the end of this year, the company should be able to be on target to the, its exit rate that we talked about. They also announced a solid discovery in that quarter. So our take here the company just Completed uh, buying back 11.8 million shares in a NCIB. They should institute another NCIB as well. The share count has been reduced. It's around 109 million shares outstanding. We estimate there's US 225 million cash in the bank net position. Uh, There's about a third of that they've promised of the cash flow. Sorry, not of that, of just cash flow is expected to be returned to shareholders on an annual basis via those buybacks and also a dividend. So the company is very shareholder friendly. Valuations. The stock trades at approximately 2.33 times expected this year's cash flow and 1.35 times EV to EBITDA. Those are low valuations. Having said that, cash flow can fluctuate very significantly with energy prices, which makes Any oil and gas producer risky if you're just going to base it on that and say, oh, it's cheap based on this multiple that can change one year out if you have a drop in those energy prices. Perex itself has a cash rich balance sheet, which bests most of its peers. The dividend is attractive. Again, one should never buy a commodity based business solely for the dividend, but the stock would rank relatively highly if growth can accelerate in a volatile conventional energy sector against its peers. It will remain volatile, however. But in our universe, this is a company that's bested many with its cash-rich balance sheet and good shareholder-friendly policies. So we continue to monitor PairX.
2: Yeah, Great. and we'll and be that, including that, it that nest cash. in... cash. Go on, Aaron.
0: Go yeah, Aaron. Sorry, we'll be... I forgot to say, we'll be including it in our uh, upcoming special report in our Canadian Opportunities Report. Our, this is the type of company that we would look at with a good solid cash-rich balance sheet, pays a dividend. You know, if you're looking for exposure to this sector, it may be one of the companies that you recommend in there. You'd have to get that report to really find out.
1: Right. Sorry. No, please, please, Aaron, Brandon, what were you go saying? ahead. Wait, no, no, that's all I was, sorry, I was just sorry gonna I have interrupted you.
2: <laughs> I was just gonna reiterate exactly what Ryan
1: <laughs> sorry, said. But, good. No, you know, I, I, I was just to, I was just gonna mention just the that net cash position on the balance sheet. I mean, that's that's one of the key things. Yeah. Uh, it's very rare that you're going to see that, uh, a net cash position, but we, I it's mean, it's a we, capital we intensive people, business, right? Like, yeah, it, it, we, you don't see it. We will get people, um, bring a lot of Canadian oil and gas producers to us and say, you know, what do we think, what do we think about this company? Um, they've been asking us about oil and gas companies over the years. One of the first things we'll say is that, you know, there's that commodity price sensitivity. So no matter what happens to, to with the underlying business, the increase in production, no matter what they do, they're ultimately going to be subject and beholden to the to the changes in the commodity price of oil and gas, whatever, whatever their commodity is. So that that's where like the main risk is. But one of the first things I will look at just on a company specific basis is the balance sheet. Uh, and what we've noticed in the Canadian market in Western Canada is a lot of mid midsize oil and gas producers have very levered balance sheets, lots of debt. And that's something that I do not like to see in a cyclical commodity price sensitive business because you you never know when the commodity price is going to turn against you. Um, and if you have a lot of debt, you could be in a position where you have trouble servicing that debt. Debt could come due. You may not be able to pay the principal back. You may not be able to get more debt at a reasonable rate um, depending on market conditions. So having that net cash position, well, it gives you, it gives you capital to invest into the business, but it also helps protect the business in the event of a downturn. And, and I think that that's more important um, when you're looking at a, at a sector like oil and gas, where there's so much volatility.
2: For sure. Like a, a company that comes to mind is like Vermilion Energy when they were I remember they had like a yield of, you know, I think it was like 15% or something. We had a ton of questions from clients, you know, is this dividend sustainable? And we just looked at the balance sheet. They're highly, highly levered. Um, and I believe, you know, it was a few weeks later, they ended up cutting their dividend. You know, if they would have had a cash rich balance sheet, maybe the opposite. But uh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll point out a company, uh, Crescent Point Industry. It's Crescent Point Energy. Sorry, Crescent Point Energy. This is a company that the entire entire Bay Street has been wetting its pants on over for, you know, a, a decades, to be honest. Uh, you look back 10 years and, and the thing is... Bay Street wouldn't touch Parex. They don't go out and raise, issue shares or go out there and paper the market with shares. They have cash flow from existing operations. Crescent Point 10 years ago, what did it trade at? Anybody know? Uh, you know, just about in 2020 or 2012, uh, in the range of $39, $40. So it was a dividend payer. People liked it for that. I don't know why anybody buys a company that's, you know, exposed to energy for the dividend. But so it traded at that price, $40 roughly in that range. After having a, a strong surge in its share price this year, it trades at $9.55 today. So just a destruction of capital in that business. You look at ParEx, where was Parex in 2012? It traded at $4.80, you know, $5 in that range. Today it trades at $20 and pays a higher dividend than Crescent Point. So this is a company that people thought was was too risky. Uh, Because it didn't trade in the Western Canadian Sedimentary Basin, which, to be honest, has been riskier to operate in than Columbia, which is really sad when you you put that together. But like, if you look at a company like Parax, it's done nothing but had tremendous returns for shareholders, increased their dividend over time, wasn't leveraged as all crap, and traded at lower valuations, and still likely does at this point. Um, You know, I, I think that you you don't have to conventional wisdom on Bay Street sometimes just Baffles me, and uh, you know, I mean that the these reports that were written and many of the analysts that were recommending Crescent Point ten years ago and have been over that period of time, we're doing it because their um, the their banks that they work for are getting financed. They're, that's what's wetting their whistle because it, you know it was a high. It's been a highly leveraged business, and a company like Parex has increased your capital over that period, paid more dividends, done shareholder friendly things that have increased its share price. Crescent Point done the exact opposite, but you don't hear about Perex and you hear about Crescent Point all the time on BNN. Go figure. Yeah. If you Hopefully want to make money, don't Point listen to, to those
1: podcasts Sometimes, as well. Yes.
0: Well, and we're in, uh, right after this, we're inviting Crescent Point management on to speak to their <laughs> great value proposition that they offer and why they have done so well over the past 10 years for their Yeah.
1: So 47, it hit a price. Maybe we'll of have Perex on. Forty-seven dollars in twenty fourteen, and as you said, right now trading down at nine fifty-five. So,
0: yeah. And where was ParEx in twenty twelve? Like we said, there at you know somewhere in the five-dollar range, just you know. And
3: now I got. Yeah, seven eight dollars, but it yeah. following yeah. year 2012, 2013, it was even cheaper at four to five dollars.
0: Yeah, and now it's twenty dollars today. So. Yeah, well, I mean, in the energy sector, we like a good balance sheet. It's hard to find sometimes. This company has it. And uh, also, they're priced in, they're not, uh, it's light, sweet, crude, based a, pre- a premium to to uh, what we, you know, Western Select, which is often sold in, in Western Canadian sedimentary basin. So getting better spreads too. Yeah. Let's move on. That's my rant on that uh, company. Let's move on rant. to... Uh, to uh who do we have second? Is Brennan in there? Oh, it, we're we're going to another rant probably. Celo or Cielo or whatever we call Cello. this company. Cielo. Yeah.
2: That's no, it's Cielo. It I think it's Cielo. I don't know. I got some some backlash online because I was saying the name wrong. But uh,
1: could be just well called for the record, if we don't us. think that a company it has the financial performance where we would even consider investing in it, we're not gonna take the time to learn how to pronounce its name properly. So yes. just, this is
2: true. Purposely. All warriors online warriors
1: online can, can just understand <laughs> that right now.
2: This true. is true. But yeah, so I will get into it. So it is uh, on Cielo Waste Solutions, CMC on the TSX Venture. Uh, they were on the Canadian Securities Exchange uh, before, but they have now listed to the TSXV. They're currently trading with a price of $0. $0.06. I actually believe that it's $0. $0.05 right now at the time of recording this. And the company operates a, as a waste to fuel environmental technology company in Canada. It converts and transforms waste feedstock, including organic material and wood derivative waste into fuel, such as diesel, naphtha, and kerosene. And um, right now, I, up on the screen, I do have a chart. And you can see here that um, I pointed out, I actually covered Cielo on the podcast in May of 2021 when it was trading at about 88 cents after there was a ton of buzz going on about the company and its blue blue sky potential, um, where I even had a young amateur investor tell me that it was going to $10. He couldn't tell me why, you know, just the technology he was saying, essentially. So I thought that I would dig into the story. Um, so moving on, On the podcast, when I covered it last, I said that we wouldn't touch the stock with a 10 foot pole because it was behind management's timelines on when it would generate revenue uh, at its facilities. The company had never posted consistent revenue or a dime of profit. It had a net debt balance. The CEO was selling shares in the $1.30 to $0.90 range. And even on a hypothetical best case scenario, uh, where I hypothesized the company could generate 17.5 million liters of diesel per year, which I think the best they've ever done in a quarter is 80,000. So this is very lofty, you know targets that I was giving them. Um, the stock was still trading at 12 times forward sales off of my lost lofty estimate. So to us, the business model wasn't proven yet which we saw as a huge risk and basically, you know, told people we wouldn't touch it. It's shit. So moving on to my next slide, um, you know, as per usual, kind of like I was saying, we did have some feedback on YouTube, probably Ryan and Aaron's burner burner accounts because, you know, they love this stock. Just kidding. Um, but a few people were telling me that I was missing the boat. The company's technology is a world changer and that they couldn't trust my conclusions because I couldn't say the business's name right. Is it Cielo, Cello, Celio? I don't know. Either way, um, I think focusing on the fundamentals of the business is much more important on how to pronounce some company's name right. Evidently, the company ran into issues with getting diesel generated, causing it to only operate on a very small scale basis. And as the company continued to post losses and failed to prove its technology and business model, the stock evidently collapsed down uh, over 93% now from when I covered the stock on the podcast at 88 cents. So much for ten bucks uh, ultimately it's just another cautionary tale of big promises on revolutionary technology along with lofty business business targets and ultimately under delivering by management in my opinion, the company will be lucky if it doesn't slowly creep closer and closer to bankruptcy in the coming year like that of ZBEC. Um, you know they've got back on my last slide they've got net debt of twelve point one million and they have eight hundred and twenty nine million basic shares outstanding. Um, which that's a lot for a stock that's trading at five cents.
1: Yeah. There'll be a consolidation on that. Scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. if they stay around, that
0: that's a bold prediction there. That'll definitely be happening, right? Yeah. yeah. Consolidation yeah. I'm, of shares. I'm glad
1: so that you posted a couple Sarah of the Hullers comments. Hullers.
2: Yeah. I mean there was I'd one, curious, good one I'd be
1: curious to hear if uh if any of those uh viewers have comments now. Yeah we, so we encourage Yes, the we people who put your,
0: those comments in to follow yes. up. There was a nice comment in there that said, "You know, we, great they call had Keystone. I avoided the yeah. stock
2: after watching this, and very glad that I did." So I thank yeah, you. Yeah, we for love to hear. We love
1: to hear that. You know, to there's hear that. There, there's a pro a process to analyzing a stock, and sometimes you know we might look at the numbers of a company, and and the numbers just look absolutely horrible. So we say this isn't a company that we're going to consider. Um, and then somebody else might come up, you know, usually somebody posting online, they'll be like, well, you can't just look at the numbers, you know, you got to look at like the underlying business, the business model, they're doing this, they have these contracts, they have this technology. Sure. But the fact of the matter is, is that looking at the internals of the business, the business model, the technology, the product, the competitive environment, that comes after you look at the financials. If a company can't even produce revenue, never mind a, dr- a dime of profitability, why are you believing their predictions on where the technology is going to be or where their market share is going to be, you know, three to five years from now or a year from now, right? Let the company actually validate their business model, validate the product, validate their technology by selling it to people in the industry that are actually experts and understand it, not investors that think they understand the technology or think they understand the potential. If it's really a great technology, then that company is going to produce revenue and eventually they're going to produce cash flow. But if they're not even able to do anything, financially, then there's no point in, in looking at the underlying business because nothing's been validated. And that's the process of looking at a company, right? It's not just about looking at, you know, the the financials over the past year. No, that's a starting point to know if you're actually dealing with a real business that's producing revenue and profit. Once you Once you're at that point, then you look at the particulars of the business, the industry, the market, you dig deep to determine how sustainable is that profitability? How sustainable is that growth? What is the strategy to grow, and is it is it achievable, and what is the probability of that success? Um, yeah, but that's and, something um, that I think a lot of people dismiss. They get caught up in the story, right? Totally. Like they fall in yeah. love with the technology or the presentation or the story. That's easy to do. It's understandable. It's easy to do because as you're as an investor, you want to find good ideas, um, but nothing's been validated until they actually sell, right? And until I th- they I actually think make sales.
0: Investors uh, think that if they invest in these concept stocks, they can get those type of blue sky type returns. Uh, you have to get in early to do that. And I think that's uh, something that's out there uh, in the investing world that people hear, I got in early, that's how I made the money on this company. Uh, it's not actually true. I, like Some of the best gains, that we, I mean, Boyd Auto Body had been around for years and years and years before we invested at $2.30 and it's at $1.180 now. Expel, we watched for four years. It's a real company producing real earnings, real cash flow. And it went from $1.40 to it trades at $60 plus today. These are the type of blue sky returns you can get from real businesses. You can buy them at low prices and you can capitalize on them as they grow over time. The same with water furnace uh, as a company we bought it at $1. fifteen is 30 plus dollars. It was sold at, I mean, photon control, 42 cents bought for three, uh, 350 in that range. Like these are real businesses that have been around for often decades before we invested in them, but you don't have to take that absolute blue or absolute speculative, uh, get, Gamble, essentially a gamble on a company like Cielo was nothing more than rolling dice on a, exactly. on a business, really. You might as well, we always say you could go to Vegas, put your money down on red. You'll have more fun. It's better thing to do. That's not investing. Investing is good, solid businesses, but you can have those tremendous returns as well. But you're also trying to prevent from losing all your money. In a company like Cielo, if, that's, you know, if you follow that for the 15, 25 stocks you put in your portfolio, oh, the technology, I believe in this company, it's the greatest thing ever. You are going to part with your money over the long term. Yeah. You might as well give it away. You might as well go to Vegas and put it on red because you'll have more fun. That is not a way to build a portfolio. If you structure it with good, solid businesses, uh, 15 and 25 of those in your portfolio, you have a fighting chance to beat the market over the long term. That's what we're trying to do, and that's what we continue to preach, you know, at these seminars, on our podcast all the time, and just to our clients when we talk to them at any point. Brennan, again, I cut you off, which I'm famous for doing. That's okay.
2: No, you you had a good rant there, as you always do. (laughs) Anyways, I think we've said
1: what we need to say, or if you have any other comments, not not again, not again. He talks. All I was going to say
2: is there was a comment on one of these negative uh, comments where the guy says, I guess you're bag holding now. And the guy who posted the negative comment says, nope, not at all. This will still move up. I'm not worried. I bought even more. It's not bag holding when you believe in the company, my friend. That's bag holding. Double (laughs) down. Yeah. Double down. Anyways, let's move on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, anybody who made a comment or would like to make a comment on... Cielo or Cielo or cello or
0: or just like whatever its name
1: Cielo. is. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Jello,
0: might as well be jello. jello. As well. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, God. let's let's get to Aaron's. Um, Aaron's. He's hitting the. He hit the mailbag listener question on how to treat goodwill when analyzing a stock. Goodwill.
1: Did I say good well? goodwill? Goodwill. We're picking will, up. you you putting good down. Will. Yeah, so this is going to be a little bit of, a, of an accounting discussion here. We're going to be looking at um, a line item on the balance sheet and so. the financial statements. Uh, and that is going to be, as Ryan said, the line item of goodwill. No, goodwill. <laughs> goodwill. Okay. I want some so, goodwill. You know, most of the people that, that watch the podcast probably aren't going to necessarily do a lot of in-depth financial analysis on a company. When they're looking at a stock that's what they would use us for but goodwill is a topic that has come up and i'm sure that um most investors have heard of it whether or not they know what it is or or what the implications are um but it's so it's good to just kind of walk through and, and give a general idea of um of how one would treat or how we look at at goodwill so this comes from a viewer question Uh, The question was just wondering if one of the Keystone presenters has discussed how to treat goodwill when doing a company analysis. For example, if you subtract balance sheet goodwill as an asset, the book value of a share is decreased proportionally. Is goodwill a red flag when doing ranking of companies? Excellent question, and I am happy to answer this. So first of all, let's explain what is goodwill. Well, goodwill is an accounting item on a company's balance sheet. So this, this accounting item arises when a company makes an acquisition. And what goodwill reflects is the amount paid for that acquisition over and above the fair market value of the assets being acquired. Let's look in a, at, a, at an example. So say you are a company and you're acquiring another business. You're acquiring this business for $120 million. And during the negotiations, of course, you sent your accountants over to the company to look at all the assets an evaluation, and they valued the fair the assets. They provided a fair value of the assets of one hundred million dollars. So you're paying one hundred and twenty. The fair value of the assets is one hundred. The additional twenty million dollars of residual value in this acquisition would be listed as goodwill. So why is that? Why why would you, as an acquirer, pay more than the fair value of the assets that you're acquiring? What is this goodwill? represent. So what it means is that you believe as the acquirer that the business that you're acquiring is worth more than the fair value of the assets. That is the assessment that you're making. And there are a number of reasons why the business may be worth more than the fair value of the assets. So it could be a very strong company with strong branding or very strong customer and supplier relationships, or maybe because of the network of talent That the company has or the operating processes that it's developed over the years or other forms of intellectual property or competitive advantage. But the bottom line is that there's something in that business that you believe is worth paying for that is not necessarily reflected in the fair value of the listed assets. So now the question that was asked is, is goodwill a red flag when evaluating or ranking companies? And the answer is not necessarily. So there are a lot of factors to include here, and it really depends on the individual company, the individual track record, uh, the industry that the company operates in, how much goodwill are we talking about? Or are we talking about a little bit of goodwill or a lot of goodwill? Um, and then just the overall balance sheet, what the balance sheet looks like in terms of debt, other assets, and then financial performance. So these are all things that, um, that need to be factored in when looking at goodwill. Now, there are risks in having too much goodwill on a company's balance sheet as an investor investing in that company. So goodwill can certainly be a sign that the company that you're investing in has overpaid for acquisitions. Not necessarily, but it it could be the case. Another thing to consider is that goodwill has to be the company has to review it annually. And if they believe that the goodwill has depreciated in value or is less than what they originally thought then there will be a a non-cash write-down or a non-cash expense to reflect this. And another thing to consider is that goodwill is not a real asset with a tangible value. So it's not something that can be resold or would necessarily have value um, in an acquisition. It's simply an assessment that the company makes. So our take on goodwill and, and is goodwill... Uh, a red flag when we're looking at a company and how much does it actually factor into the investment decision for us? Well, the truth is that um, one thing that's important for, for a stock investor to understand when they're thinking about the balance sheet is that the asset values on the balance sheet don't actually reflect what one would consider to be the true market value of those assets. That That's not the way that it works. Generally, when you're looking at an asset recorded on a balance sheet, that's essentially the cost that was paid for that asset minus any depreciation over, over the years. And depreciation is in it itself just an accounting estimate as well, and may not actually really represent the real um, de- depreciating value of that asset. So anytime you're looking at um, asset values listed on a, on a balance sheet, you can't look at those from the perspective of this is what really what these assets are worth. Or when you're looking at the equity on the balance sheet, that this is what you know, you would get if the company were to sell all of its assets and pay off all of its debt. Um, These are not values that we can really depend on. And for that reason, uh, we don't really look at asset values when we're evaluating um, a company from a valuation perspective. Now, what we do use the balance sheet for is we use the balance sheet to assess financial health and debt leverage. And goodwill can factor into that um, but it's one of many, many things that we look for. And as I, uh, as I discussed before, there are a lot of other factors to consider, like the industry, the company, uh, and just the overall condition of the financial performance and the balance sheet. So really, we do not use the balance sheet when it comes to doing valuation on a company. When we're doing a valuation on a company, we're looking at revenue, we're looking at cash flow, we're looking at earnings. Um, and, and typically, it's, it's the revenue and the cash flow versus the debt um, that we will use to evaluate the financial health of a company as well, as opposed to the, the recorded values of the, of the assets. So just on, on some final thoughts here, some additional thoughts here. Um, some, some goodwill is certainly going to be inevitable for companies that make acquisitions. So if you are investing in a company that does a lot of acquisitions, maybe that's a part of their growth strategy, they're likely to have goodwill on their balance sheet. Now, A cleaner balance sheet is always better. Certainly, we would prefer likely to see no goodwill or or no assets where we can't determine a tangible value for that asset, but that's not realistic. Um, Excessive goodwill is certainly something to look into, but goodwill itself is not necessarily something that would dissuade us from investing in a company or would cause us to rank it uh, at at all differently um, relative to other companies as well. Typically when we're looking at acquisitions and how well a company acquires other businesses, we're gonna be looking at the track record of that company um, and the earnings and cash flow accretion or per share earnings and per share cash flow growth that they've been able to generate um, through their acquisition strategy. Of course, this is all relative to how much debt they use for acquisitions, how much how much equity, but you know, we're really looking more at the at the track record as opposed to. Um, as opposed to, you know, a couple of balance sheet items. Most good companies, however, are going to be worth more than just the fair value of their assets. So just looking at, at the goodwill or, 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 or taking the position that goodwill is bad is, is not something that, that I would agree with. In fact, I've heard the, the saying in the past, I don't know who said it, but the saying is a uh, goodwill is just the amount that a company is overpaid for an acquisition. And while I can understand this this mentality. I, I don't think that it's it's really um, it's 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 really accurate because most good great companies are gonna trade at, are are gonna are gonna sell are gonna be worth more than just the fair value of their assets. And I'm just gonna use the example of of Alphabet. So this is the company, uh, one of the largest companies, top technology firms in the world. Own some of the the most incredible technology platforms in the world, like Google, like YouTube, like Google Cloud. So Alphabet, their their total value of their assets, minus the cash on their balance sheet, is about $230 billion. Um, Yet the company produced nearly $100 billion in cash flow just over the last year. So if somebody were to purchase Alphabet, if Alphabet were to be acquired by another company or another person, Um, clearly the value of the company would be more than just the value, the fair market value of their assets. Clearly there are brands, processes, technologies, talent connections in place in the business that make the total value of that company more than just the value of its listed assets. So goodwill is, is, is not necessarily, it's not necessarily a value that doesn't exist. It's not necessarily a company's overpaying for assets. Could mean that they're overpaying for assets, but it really just really just it's really just an accounting term that reflects the difference between fair value and what a company's actually worth. And we can go through many other examples as well, um, McDonald's or other great branded businesses, where you know certainly if you were to buy the company, you would have to understand that the purchase price you would pay would be more than just the company's real estate, buildings, office supplies, and equipment. There's there's branding, there's other competitive advantages as well and that's essentially what goodwill reflects so that that's our take on goodwill one of the many things that you may want to consider if the value is very large but ultimately it's not one of the most important things we would look at when we're valuing and ranking companies and in fact it's probably um you know one of one of the lower lower things on the list that we would look at in terms of importance
0: so you'd say you know we pay mine to goodwill but we're not constantly goodwill hunting on the balance sheet <laughs> i got that one <laughs>
2: yeah i i i would
1: say that
0: uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't, you don't have to comment on that goodwill gonna... is neither that good is just nor bad
2: i was wondering why you were cracking up you were laughing to yourself over there because you thought of that hey <laughs> i saw that <sighs>
0: That I'm out on that one. It's it, mm-hmm. George on Seinfeld. He he has this episode where he wants to end on a high note. He would have left the room on that right after that. I
1: think you still so, got some work to do before you. Can <laughs> be
0: I don't think him. you can get higher. Let's be honest. What if you could okay. just keep digging yourself? Well, Brett, Brennan could when get higher. Just keep going? Is, so. All
1: right. Let's hear from him. Let's hear <laughs>
0: All right. Him, let's right. go. Uh, Brett's going to look into chorus uh, from a listener question on chorus entertainment. We'll let you go while Brennan gets higher.
3: Yeah, of of course. He, that's his uh-huh. usual state of mind. <laughs> Interestingly enough, just before I start this course, actually had a big write-down on their Goodwill a few years ago, which caused them to have a loss in net income, which that is the one time which I would actually pay attention to it is if they do have a big impairment, why that happened, mm-hmm. and yeah. how it affects their earnings. Because you will have some anomalies like here where they had a massive 600000000 million write-down and it it made their earnings negative does that really affect their business performance no not really but it appears in the financials good segue yeah i know right i actually found one for once anyways we'll we'll get into chorus now
0: it's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call your stock our take buy sell or hold
3: so Corus Entertainment, symbol CJR.B, which is their main share, it's their uh, non-voting share, which is the ones you'll actually be able to purchase on, a, on the TSX exchange, is trading at 2.28 dollars a share, and it is a Canadian broadcasting company. The company currently operates 33 specialty television channels, 15 conventional television stations, and 39 radio stations across the country, as well as producing television content that is broadcasted around the world. The company is profitable, having a profit of $29.6 million, or $0.14 cents per share, in Q3 2022. Revenue is dominated by the television segment, which brought in 93% of the $433 million in the last quarter. Television brought in $128 million in segment profit, while radio only brought in $6 million, showing the clear dependency in television on their television segment. The company does pay a dividend of six cents per share in the last quarter, bringing the trailing twelve-month dividend yield to ten point four percent. Seems great, right? Profitable has nice, nice dividend yield. The problem is the company is stagnant for growth. Making a making the lack of growth more concerning is the significant debt position of one point two seven billion in debt. The company isn't crushed by debt at all, though. It is still producing free cash flow that exceeds the interest and financing costs, uh, which has allowed it to pay down its debt over the previous five or so years. Part of the reason why it has been able to pay off its debt, though, is it's lowered its dividends in 2018 from nine and a half cents to the current six cents, which it has stayed at since then. Which, seeing dividends drop is always a bit of a concern, and why they are doing it in this case, it was to start to pay off their debt. Of course, lowering dividends is better than ultimately going bankrupt. As the company is struggling to find any growth, the valuations reflect that the trailing price-to-earnings ratio is only 3.3 times, and trailing price-to-free cash flow is only 2 times. Looking forward, even current analyst expectations are similar or lower for the fiscal year 2023 compared to the expectations for the year fiscal year 2022. The price implies the broader market does not see a turnaround in growth anytime soon. But what is management trying to do to turn around? They are pushing content production. Some recent highlights include 200 additional hours of Canadian content, 45 green lights, and renewals and partnerships with paramount global to produce content and provide advertising representation for its pluto tv streaming service which is due to launch soon so will we buy it no even with the low valuations it's hard to justify purchasing a company from a long-term perspective as the growth is just not there and the debt risk although lower than previous years is still considerable if growth does appear the company would be significantly more appealing so I'll open it to the, to the rest of you guys.
1: Well, Ryan and I know why the radio segment is performed so poorly. It's because they lost the Money Talk show with Michael Campbell exactly. You know, so they missed the boat on that. That's why they're absolutely are so ridiculous. Stagnant.
0: It's hard to recommend the company after that. Well, we would not. Great but right.
1: we would. But you to know. be fair, we wouldn't have recommended it before either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've looked yeah. at it as a dividend pair uh, multiple times, and you know you. You mentioned the debt. The debt is is crazy. Um, it's it's quite high. It does produce a lot of free cash flow. It does look very cheap, but um, d- just the business, you know, that traditional cable radio, it's it's difficult to say what kind of a future that has. I mean, it really it's been a declining industry. I know for myself, I don't watch cable TV anymore. I mean, I you know we have Netflix, we have Disney Plus. Um, anytime I turn on the cable TV and start going through the channels. I'm quickly reminded why I don't watch cable TV anymore. That's
0: why you like, according to this, you align well with teens, right? I do. Yes. For a number of reasons. Exactly. So many, so many.
2: So yeah, I popped this up on the, (laughs) on the screen here. I'll send you this Brett, so you can pop it up in the actual podcast, but yeah, it just shows, you know, looking for future growth in this business. You know, it's pretty hard to compete with Netflix and YouTube when that's what teens are flocking to. And as you can see, and, Aaron you know, and, and me and teens Aaron, Dunn. And me. <laughs> teens, tweens and Aaron. I Dunn. love it. Um, but yeah, you can see, you know, 2019, <laughs> 2020, 2021, 2022. We just keep seeing that, you know, the cable TV uh, drop and is coming out of favor with, you know, the young, the young audience. And, you know, I tell yeah, my I parents are think- gone. Take it away.
0: No, I on no. keep going. You tell your parents. This will be really interesting. We won't well, learn. I was just going
2: to say my parents, you know, like I, I was at Thanksgiving with them and I told them, you know, guys, cable TV is unfortunately dying. YouTube is, you know, taking over. That's where the younger yeah. generation is going for, you know, content. And, you know, and my mom right thinks down. it's the worst thing in the world and Aaron done. Um, but yeah, that's <laughs> all I was going to say. You know, it's just that. Is that where, where you told going. them
0: about your date over the weekend? too? <laughs>
2: no no i had to sneak that one in (laughs) yeah i was wondering i was wondering (gasps) oh
0: we i tried not to but on on chorus it is a good point like the the revenue is just from 2017 to today haven't grown i mean the valuations you know the dividends some things you know debt aside but you can't put debt aside that's the problem but you know it might look somewhat uh you might entertain it and start to go down the rabbit hole and look at the company more but you know there just hasn't been any growth since 2017 and we'd want to see growth as part of our GARP growth and then a reasonable price and you know if you don't have the growth there it just it doesn't fit within our criteria okay i think that's it for this week is that correct we're good um Keep your questions coming in to our Your Stock, Our Take segments if you want us to compare two stocks or debate an individual stock. uh, Keep those questions coming in or keep those stock suggestions coming in and we'll review them every week. Smash the subscribe button if you're on YouTube. Rate and review us on uh, iTunes. And as always, we'll continue to produce this content. Uh, I'd like to just wish everybody out there profitable investing and come out to our seminars. Thanks,
1: everyone.